Folks, if you want to turn with me now to the Word of God, uh, this morning we are in Titus, as we will be for the next uh, few weeks anyway, uh, thinking about the church. Who's the king of the church? It's Jesus. Uh, who is the church made up of? Young and old, like Aaron Dong, to our lads like me. Uh, anyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is, is part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we see here uh, this morning, uh, as we finish chapter 1, the qualifications for elders. Now, normally a passage like this uh, is preached when we're having an eldership election. We're not having an eldership election. We're not doing that. Uh, but it's always good to remember uh, how the Lord structures his church. And I, I know you might think, oh, Scott, not a, a boring church government sermon, but, but I hope it's really not going to be that. I hope you learn today, uh, and I hope you're challenged and encouraged today. Titus is on page 998 of the small print Bibles, uh, and it's on page 1271 uh, of the large print Bibles. Uh, it's a hard wee book to find. Uh, Timothy, Timothy, Titus. You remember last week, I'm Philemon, as I used to sing in Sunday school. Only three chapters. You could read it today uh, before your lunch or after your lunch, uh, and you would be blessed for doing so. We're going to work our way through Titus, thinking about what sort of church uh, we will be, or we hope and pray we will be, over the next decade, the 20s, as they've come again. Some of you saw the 20s last time round, and you're seeing them again this time. Uh, by God's grace, we will grow as a church in the 20s. This is God's word, beginning uh, at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Amen. We thank God for Titus, uh, and we will return to the word of God later on this evening, thinking about the gift of prayer, but we praise God this morning for his word. We'll settle in this morning, folks, for the sermon. I hope you've got at least three packets of polo mints with you. You're going to need them because it's an eye-boring church government kind of sermon. 
And it's one that immediately as you heard that passage, you thought, well, I'm going to switch off because I'm not an elder. I have no interest in this. I'm going to get wait till the good stuff comes up later in the book, and then that's when I'm going to re-engage. But I pray that that will not be the case for you. Elder or not, I pray that you will listen because you would be amazed how many times the Apostle Paul and indeed other New Testament writers return to the issue of church government. You'd be amazed how often they speak about how we are to structure the church. You'd be amazed at how often this is pointed out to us and if it is in the word of God, then the church of God, the people of Jesus Christ, well, this is for us and for our good. It's not just an I Presbyterian sermon. You, if you are a Presbyterian, know what we're about. I'm an elder. Uh, some others among you this morning are elders. We are members of Down Presbytery. That's a fancy word for a, a gathering, a collection of other Presbyterian churches. Last Friday night, we went up to Balamina Presbytery, where those boys up there laid hands on John. That didn't mean they give him a hiding. I was hoping they might. Uh, but it wasn't that. They, they laid hands on John. They ordained John. That's a function of the presbytery. And John is now a presbyter in Balamina Presbytery, preaching the gospel in Glenarm and Kernalbana. Every June, we all get together. We head down to Belfast, and we have a meeting called the General Assembly. And once upon a time, now and again, occasionally there are things like synods and other things like that there. And we, we love a bit of church government than the Presbyterian Church. It's above the door. We are the Presbyterian Church. And that word comes from the Greek, the, the presbyter. That's me, the minister, the preacher, the elder, the, the presbyter. And that is why we are Presbyterian. You know what I mean? Presbyterian. That's the meaning of that. And this is important stuff. Last week we touched on how Paul writes to Titus and says, I want to strengthen the faith of God's people. I want them to grow in their knowledge of the truth. And I want them to work that out in, in works which accord uh, with godliness. And it should interest you then that the very first thing that Paul says after his introduction to Titus is, Titus, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, appoint presbyters in every town as I directed you. Paul doesn't jump in speaking about the, the trouble that Titus is going to face. He's not writing here and, and dealing with 101 different difficulties and problems. Paul writes to Titus and says, Titus, start here. Put everything there and what remains, the, the people of God, the church of Christ, order it, structure it, and appoint elders in every single town as I directed you. So immediately we see the importance of this. We see the importance of, of a church being structured and ordered according to the word of God. We, we don't come up with a, a scheme to build a good church and, and we ask the business leaders of the day, how best do we run a church? Instead, we go to the word of God and in the word of God, he commands us to be led and governed by presbyters, by elders. Sometimes we see it in the scriptures referred to as bishops. That is who the elders are. And they're there to bring order to the church of Jesus Christ. That makes them sound like the Peters. You know, they'll, they'll stop you in the car park and say, Mavis, you're going too fast, love. Wise yourself up. That's not the function of the elder. But the Lord is honored when we do everything decently and in order. And so Paul says, appoint elders, get them to, to put everything in order. This is important. And we're going to see why later on in this wee passage, why it is important. But that's a function of the elder, to, 
to bring order to the local church. And folks, if we want to be a strong church going forward, if we're going to be a church that will stand again in, in 2030 and maybe 2040 and beyond, if we want to see growth in this next 10 years, then we need to take the government of our church really, really seriously. And sometimes I know I am guilty of not. Sometimes I could see a meeting of presbytery far enough. There's been occasions in the past 12 years that I've been here where I've been in presbytery meetings that have gone on to almost midnight. And you're sitting there and Jenny's texting you, please come home, love, I miss you. I miss you so much. You know, well, might have been my mom that said that. I don't know, but you're, but you're there and you're thinking, oh, I could see this far enough. Or when the phone goes to say, Scott, would you take on the vacancy at Board Mills? And this is a true story. Ian Abraham it was. He said, Scott, would you do the vacancy in Board Mills? And I said, well, Ian, I'll have to think about it. And he said, well, Scott, you have John Brogan there, so you'll not have to think about it too much. I, okay, Ian. And you take your turn. You have to be the moderator of Presbytery occasionally. You have to go and uh, welcome outalls and kiss babies and open halls and all this sort of stuff. And at times you think, oh, I could see this far enough. But how we are structured as a denomination and as a church, I firmly believe, is founded upon and agreeable with the scriptures. And a strong eldership in the local church is for the local church's benefit and blessing. The apostle says, Titus, first things first, appoint elders in every single town as I directed you. These elders will bring order and structure to the local church. And friends, the eldership is not a position that should be bestowed upon everyone just because your dad was an elder or your granddad was an elder or your farm's the biggest. That's not it at all. The standards of the elder are exceptionally high and absolutely humbling. I am an elder. I know many of you will call me a minister, but I am an elder. I try to impress that upon my fellow elders because I feel that we have an unhelpful distinction in the PCI between ministers and regular elders. It was a bit like what Dave did. Oh, Scott, Scott all up there. He knows everything. I'm an elder. I'm an elder like my brother elders. There's, there's no division, I hope, between us. No structure that I'm up here and they're down there. Any one of us that bears the title elder reads the next two verses, or three verses, uh, and, and really is just humble. Because Paul says to Titus, I, I want you to appoint elders, and here's how to identify them. He says in verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, so not down the town arguing and fighting on a Saturday night. For an overseer, an elder, a bishop, he says in verse 7, as God's steward must be above reproach, not arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent or greedy for gain, but instead hospitable, verse 8, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I don't know if there's any elder in this church, myself included, that always matches up to the standard that the apostle sets out for us. I know as I read this passage and as I prepared to preach it this week, often I did so with a red face. Because you read through it and and you examine yourself and you pray about your own walk as an elder in the church of Christ and you realize that you often fall short of God's standard for elders. But my brothers and sisters, if I or any of us as elders in this church have let you down, 
or caused you to look at a passage like this and roll your eyes and think no such elder exists, then I pray and beg you on behalf of Almighty God, please forgive us. Please forgive us. Please forgive me if I have ever failed you and failed to meet this standard. I suspect it wouldn't take you too long to have a wee think about days or hours or moments that I have let you down. Brothers and sisters, please forgive me. I take these verses seriously, and by God's grace, as I get older and wiser and more mature in the Christian faith, I will more and more, as the Spirit works in my life, meet the standard of the eldership that God puts before us here in his word. You see, church government is important. Having a, a church that is ordered according to the scriptures is of vital importance. And we begin now to get to why it is of vital importance. You see, the standard of the elder is raised up, and then the rule of the elder in verse 9 is put forward. Paul says the elder must hold fast or must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here is what I as an elder and as the other elders in this church should be involved in. Sometimes in the PCI, uh, the eldership has become something where, you know, what does the elder do? Well, he, he gives out the communion tokens. Or he, he maybe comes to your house and, and puts the magazine through the door. That's what the elder does. That's his responsibility. But here we see, Paul says, no, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. It is the elder's responsibility to know the word of God. It is the elder, the, the spiritual leader, the bishop, the presbyter, whatever you want to call him in the local church, it is his responsibility to hold fast to the trustworthy word. The elder must be an individual that knows the word of God, that loves the word of God, that sits under the word of God, that understands the word of God. Here is how the elder and the church government benefits and blesses the local church. See, we live in days of people and individuals and movements which would seek to take the word of God and rip it to shreds. And you might think, oh, what poor people we are. It's never been like this before. But if we believe that, then we believe nonsense. Paul says in verse 10 here, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And immediately you think, well, hold on, because we've been taught to believe, haven't we, that the, the church in these days was perfect. They were seeing thousands of people coming to faith that was growing throughout the world. There was never any difficulty in the church in these days. And yet if you believe that, then you've never read the New Testament. Paul is constantly dealing with difficulties in the local church. And here he says to Titus, this is why you need elders that know the Bible. This is why you need elders that love the Lord, because there are many who are insubordinate. They don't do a thing they're told. They're empty talkers and deceivers. They'll, they'll lie through their teeth to get their own way. They'll boast. They'll, they'll shout about it, but it'll be backed up by nothing. And especially those, he says, of the circumcision party especially those who are moving throughout the church in these days and Titus teaching that to be right with God, you also need to be circumcised. 
circumcision is important. If, if you're not circumcised, well, you're, you're probably not a Christian. And I hope, friends, you already see the damage that that would do. Imagine if I, as an elder, got up into this pulpit on a regular basis and, and told you, well, to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to wear a suit like mine. It's a nice suit. It's the suit I told you before. My mother-in-law bought me. You're not really saved unless you dress the way I dress. You're not really saved unless you do the things I do and, uh, and follow all my ways. You're, you're not really saved unless you put a certain amount into the church plate. There's always going to be someone, some weak, tender-hearted Christian that will hear that and believe that and be led astray. There's always going to be some tender-hearted Christian that will hear stuff like that and think, I haven't done enough. In their prayers of intercession, I, I remembered my sister-in-law, Katie, and if she was here, she could tell you about the, the Nigerians and how they worship. And when they bring their money to, to church, they have multiple collections. And the way they do it is they bring their collection up to the front. So you have a, a buddy coming down from the back, that's calling Big Billy, and Big Billy's walking up the aisle. And Bill, Big Billy's walking up the aisle, and he's shouting, I'm giving 30 pounds. Doesn't talk like that. He's not from East Nigeria. I'm giving 30 pounds. So you're sitting there and you think, Big Billy gave 30 pounds. Muriel, get your purse out. And Muriel then comes, she's, I'm giving 31, praise the Lord, 31 pounds, praise the Lord. And somebody else comes up and says, Well, I'm giving 50 this week, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And you can see how that develops, can't you? And there you are, sitting there, tender hearted Christian, and you think to yourself, I don't think I'm really saved. I don't have 30 pound to give. All I've got is 50p, and, and I can't go up there and shout about it. Am I actually a Christian? I haven't given enough. I haven't done enough. Can you see the damage that that does to the church? It's always been this way. Paul says there are many like this. Empty talkers, deceivers, insubordinate, those of the circumcision party who take the gospel and add to the gospel. This is why we need elders who know and hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. See, Paul says these false teachers must be silenced, since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain. They, they're doing it not for the glory of God, but so that they can gain something, whether it's financial, whether it's prestige and reputation. They're doing this for shameful gain. Later on, Paul says they're devoting themselves, verse 14, to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. They profess to know God, verse 16, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. And this is not out of bounds for our day. We don't need to look too far in our day for for individuals who still act and live like this within the local churches of this town and beyond. It's not too far from this church to, to know other places and other uh, letters that have been written into the newsletter and the telegraph that show that false teaching abounds in the local church. And what do we do in the next 10 years to combat that so that never happens here? Well, we need elders who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. See, I'm absolutely convinced, and this isn't me letting ministers out of jail. It's not. But I am absolutely convinced that a false teaching 
enters the church through the pulpit, the elders of that church open the door and let it in. The elders of the church open the door and let it in. Yes, the preacher has a responsibility to make sure that what he says accords with the plain teaching of God's word. Absolutely, 100%. But I would hope that if I ever got up here and preached error, then we in this church would have elders that would tap me on the shoulder and say, Scott, what you said this morning was not true. It may be hard for me to listen to, but that's where error is nipped in the bud. If once faithful fellowships become apostate, that means they depart from the gospel. If once favorite uh, uh, evangelical fellowships that, that, that once preached the gospel of Christ crucified and raised from the dead, depart to a place where they deny that and, and teach something else, well, the elders of that church opened the door. And so to my fellow elders, to my brother elders in this church, to myself, we must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. I was in a, a chat this week with a, a brother in Christ on WhatsApp and chatting about things like this. And he reminded me, as is absolutely true, that, that in this day and age, where does the attack come? It comes on the word. It comes on the word every time. The word cannot be trusted. The word of God is, is old hat. The word of God has got this wrong and it's got this wrong. And we must change to get with the world, to move with history. Everything has to be uh, looked at and the baby has to be thrown out with the bath water. The word is attacked. Did God really say that? And in days where the word is despised and attacked, by empty talkers and deceivers both inside and outside the church, what do we need? We need a boring old sermon about elders who hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. There's nothing boring about that. It's vital to the spiritual life and health of a congregation. In 10 years' time, if I'm standing here, well, I can guarantee pretty much something that, that I will be bald. Say, look, there's a camera over there, and I'm on that TV screen over there, and if I, if I do that, I blind a woman in the front row of the choir. There's more hair on my chin now than there is in my head. I, I, I see that the tide is going out, and it's never coming back. I see that. But even if I'm bald as a cook, even if I'm still ten and a half stone, give over, Richard. I pray that I will be standing in this pulpit preaching the truth of God's word. That this will be a fellowship. Maybe, maybe shrunk to the bit, to the to, to the, the, the dregs. Maybe there'll be 15, 20 of us here. Maybe there'll be a big split because some will say, oh, we can't tolerate that teaching. But may this place still be faithful. Even if we're closing the doors, may we close the doors preaching faithfully the word of God. If that is to happen, it's not just my responsibility, it is a responsibility on the elders of this congregation to hold firm to this trustworthy word. And so that elders in this congregation may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Doctrine's a dirty word. We don't want to talk about doctrine, but it is a good word. It, it simply means what we believe about God. What do we believe about this great God of ours who we worship every week? See, in the Presbyterian Church, I am often referred to as a teaching elder. I'm the elder who teaches. 
uh, and other elders, well, they're ruling elders, they, they rule. But they don't teach. They just rule. I think we've got that wrong as a denomination. Paul makes no distinction here about the eldership. He says, elders, all of us, must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. We must be able to do it. We must be able to say, you have believed the false gospel. This is the true and the pure gospel. You have believed something that is not right. This is true and this is accurate. When the wee woman beside you down your street says, those Jehovah's Witnesses are lovely people, you must be able to say, be careful, here is why. When those Mormons come and you fall in love with them because they're all good-looking Americans, we must be able as elders to say, be careful, and here is why. As elders, we hold fast to the trustworthy word is taught so that we're able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Also able to stand up and say, my, my brother, my sister, you are in danger here of leading the church astray. You're in danger here of believing heresy and lies. I, I call upon you to, to come back from that false teaching and to return on to the truth. Who wants to have conversations like that? Certainly not me. Imagine your life was filled with conversations like that, conversations where in the church you were having to say, be careful, this, this is a false teaching, this is false doctrine that is creeping in, that's coming from America, it's, it's coming from European thinking, it's coming from down the street, wherever it's coming from, this false doctrine is, is in danger of causing us to depart from the scripture. How does this happen? It happens through the work of the elder. This is a call today, I hope, to myself as an elder and to my brother elders in this church. If we have ever lost sight of what the responsibility is or what the rule is, then may we open our eyes again and see it. If we have ever thought that it's just about putting out the chairs at funerals or, or doing nice things and, and making coffee on a Sunday morning, then we have lost sight of the vision. Paul says the local church is ordered and strengthened when it has Bible-believing, doctrine-instructing, and heresy-rebuking elders. And you see, immediately we might respond to a passage like this and think to ourselves, well, Scott, that'll never happen here. That'll never happen here. Friends, this church is in a land where up and down this country, it has happened. It has happened. Churches, empty buildings now sit in, in towns and villages and, and in Belfast, where I'm from. Where I'm from, Belfast is filled with churches that once on a Sunday morning could have had up to about a thousand people in them. And where are they now? Empty. More and more being turned into mosques. The false teaching of Islam is creeping its way into Northern Ireland society. If you'd have said that to your ancestors 50 years ago, would they have believed that? Of course they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. I once talked to a wee woman in here in this very building. She was from up the Old Park in Belfast. And Old Park Presbyterian was once a massive big church, uh, almost 900 on it Sunday by Sunday. And she, in tears, she goes to another church in Old Park, and she, in tears, said, I never, never would have saw the day that Old Park would have been knocked down. It's gone. It's gone. Now, is it because of false teaching? No, it's not. But once upon a time, no one would have ever seen that coming. May the Lord protect us from an arrogance that says, 
It'll never happen here. May the Lord protect us from an arrogance that says, it'll never happen to Scott. I know in my own denomination, many older men who, who people will say, oh, I used to preach the gospel. And for some reason, something happened that gospel's never mentioned anymore. Friends, may the Lord protect us as elders and as a congregation from arrogance in this new decade that believes we will always believe the word. We will never question the word. We will never ever allow false teaching to creep into this church. There, but the grace of God, go we. Our elders guard the door, and as men and women of faith, we make sure that what we hear is in accordance with the scripture. Because you see, brothers and sisters, even if you are not an elder this morning, this has a challenge to you as well. Later in Hebrews 13, the apostle says to everyday regular members of the congregation, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would have been of no advantage to you. How do we respond to a passage like this? Even if we're not elders, and even if we're not a bit interested in church government, we respond in prayer. That's how we respond. Today we go home, and instead of saying, well, I don't think your man's a very good elder. Did you hear what Scott said this morning? Pray for your man, whoever he may be. Remember him before the Lord. Pray for your elders by name. Ask the Lord that he would grow up in us a, a deeper love for the truth a passion for the sound doctrine that we find in God's word. Be in prayer for your elders and, and don't be what we call at home. It's a, it's a theological term. Don't be a clampet. It's from the original Greek, klampekos or something. Don't be a clampet. In Hebrews 13, Paul says, be someone who supports your elders so that they're able to do their work with joy. A colleague of mine, in a church that will remain nameless and a place that will remain nameless for the first few years of his ministry there had an individual in his church who thought her responsibility was to be a thorn in his flesh. She took that from the Bible, twisted it completely, and thought God has given me this responsibility to be a thorn in his flesh. Well, that thorn in his flesh nearly drove him to a mental breakdown. That thorn in his flesh didn't cause him joy in his work. It caused him to groan. It caused his family to be upset. It, it caused difficulties day after day for my friend. By the grace of God, he was okay. Presbytery were involved, and they sorted it out. But don't be a clump. As we read a passage like this, temptation is to point the finger and say, those elders aren't anywhere close to this. And you know what? Probably you're right. Pray for us. Support us. Help us as we try our best to maintain the gospel and true, faithful, biblical teaching in this church. Because in 2020, all the way to 2030 and beyond, there's nothing more important. In days like these where nothing is true, absolutely anything goes. Days like these where Jesus is just an option and a list of endless options in a dark town like ours. And Paul writes to Titus and says, you're on an island that is full of Christians who are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Verse 12. 
And that's one of their own prophets that said that. And what does Paul say in response? Verse 13, this testimony is true. That's the sort of land that you live in, Titus. And I wouldn't mention that about Balna Hinch. We're not in a town that loves the gospel. We're not in a town that is absent from the spiritual battle that rages in our land. And so how do we respond? With prayer. Prayer that we as elders would be men who meet the standards as outlined by Titus. And pray as a congregation that we would be men and women of faith in this church that make serving the Lord as an elder an absolute joy and not a pain in the neck. And by God's grace, over the next 10 years, you and I will continue to preach this trustworthy word. See, friends, the gospel is offensive. We are fools if we think otherwise. The gospel causes people to stop on their tracks and realize that they need to do something with Jesus. And how do they respond usually to this cry of, you must be born again, you must look on to the crucified lamb who was raised from the dead? How more and more is our society responding with anger and and bitterness, with insults, with legal moves to say, well, no more gospel, no more church, cut their funding, do this, do that? And how do we respond? With a boring but incredibly helpful, I hope, sermon about the structure of the church. That if we get this right by God's grace and his spirit works through us, as Bible-believing elders serving Bible-believing people in a Bible-believing and gospel-preaching church, well, as we read in Hebrews 13 and 17, that would be of great advantage to us. Friends, may we be this congregation. May we be what Paul writes to Titus. And when 2030 comes, may what we hear in this place still be, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And we thank God this morning for his word.